Well, our names are Teresa and Gumby. Welcome to Escaping Society. We wrote our own song so we wouldn't have to pay for anyone else's copyright infringement. And we live in a van and we eat from the trash. Making this podcast open for cash. You better listen up because we probably won't last. Because we can't compete with nonsense. Hypnotizing nonsense. Welcome to Escaping Society, Episode 77, Tranny Granny. And uh, why did we name it Tranny Granny? That's actually a nickname, actually a, a, a loving nickname for a woman named Phoenicia Madrano, who was, uh, wow, she, uh, she just passed in April of 2020, and it's December now of that year, and uh, I'm just learning more and more about this person who, um, yeah, what a, Gumby and I were talking about this before we did the episode, like, how the hell are we going to do this? There's just so much that is like, I don't even know how to put into words, but we're going to try. And I think it's, it's partly wisdom to admit that I don't know. I don't know how to do this. And I did not personally know Phoenicia Madrano, although Gumby, you had a brush with her while she was alive. Yeah, our first introduction to the existence of a Phoenicia Madrano was uh, me on Facebook, and I don't even remember what page it was, but I uh, I posted something that was something to the effect of, uh, what if you knew that if you acted today, it was your last chance to uh, make a change in the world, um, to maybe turn things around and save the environment? And uh, what if you knew that whatever you did, it would meet with some measure of success, it would make a difference, but there was no guarantee that you would live through it. Would that change anything? So I was just trying to, kind of trying to open up a discussion. And this woman named Phoenicia Madrano um, commented, and she just jumped all over me like it was, uh, <laughs> she just started talking about wild tending. And I had just been introduced to the word wild tending pretty recently. So, uh, I think by one of our listeners. Yeah, actually, yeah. A couple <laughs> of our listeners mentioned, have you heard of wild tending? So I was somewhat interested, but, uh, yeah, she was just really hostile and, uh, was saying like, well, there's only one thing that matters and that's, uh, wild tending. If you're not wild tending, then, uh, you know, you're, you're one of the, I don't remember what she called me, but the it, ecocidal whores of Babylon. It, it wasn't flattering. <laughs> I remember that. So having no idea who this person was, you know, I'm debating with her and like, who the fuck are you? You know, like, so you plant some seeds in the ground and you think that's the one way to make a difference and Anything anybody else is doing doesn't matter. And uh, so I'm debating with her. And then this other fucking asshole, Frank Eggers, <laughs> jumps in there and he starts talking about wild tending. And like they're both fucking like clobbering me. And I'm like, what a bunch of fucking assholes. It's not even that they're debating well. It's just that, you know, it's like black and white. You're either doing this or fuck you. So, you know, I'm talking to Teresa after that, and I'm like, I'm still not sure what wild tending is, but uh, apparently there's something about it that either attracts huge assholes or turns people into assholes. So I'm not getting a good impression of this thing. And uh, 
<laughs> yeah, as we're researching this and we're reading up on Phoenicia, it blew my mind. This was like a few days ago that her alter identity on Facebook, and we're going to talk more about who Phoenicia is and her relationship to wild tending, um, but her, her alter ego on Facebook is Frank Eggers. And I've been thinking all this time. Frank N. Eggers. Frank N. Eggers. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, say that fast. Yeah. And um, <laughs> so all this time I've been thinking, you know, these two people were just like, what the fuck? And it turns out it was the same person. And uh, as Teresa's going to share, you know, the tranny granny, um, Phoenicia was born a man. And so Frank Eggers, his post, his profile picture was Phoenicia before the surgery as a man. Yeah. So, <laughs> and then we go and check out his profile, which is pretty interesting. And it says he's in a relationship with Phoenicia and it's complicated. <laughs> I was like, indeed. But yeah, that was my first introduction to Phoenicia. And then I remember looking at her profile and it looked like, uh, some old woman and, uh, you know, she looked like an Indian in the picture, so I was like, well, this is just some crazy old Indian woman, you know? Like, if she wants to argue with me, I'll argue back with her, you know? Not disrespectfully, just like, all right, you're picking a fight, I'll fight you. But, uh, yeah, I've learned so much about Phoenicia since. And, uh, yeah, Teresa? And that's, again, that's one of the things that it's like, it's really hard to talk about Phoenicia because she is or was such a paradox, like, just... You know, you think you might have a person pinned down as to who or what they are, but Gumby, you often talk about uh, characters in movies that you really like because they're not this or that. They're kind of like maybe a little evil, but with a good side or good with an evil side. And it's like, that's, that's like a real person. Yeah. Um, one thing, one thing that I walk away from kind of a bottom line of my opinion of Phoenicia is, uh, she definitely did some, uh incredible things. And, uh, we're going to talk about that really soon. You know, I give her full credit about all the stuff she did, but she is a challenge. And that's one of the things I, I've come to appreciate about Phoenicia. My first interaction with her was, uh, challenging me. Um, she challenges my views on transsexualism. She challenges my views on wild tending. Her very existence is, uh, to me, almost innately coyote, Hayoka. Um, She's a world shaker. She's somebody that you can't really put in a box, you know? Like, anything I can say about a wild tender doesn't exactly fit Phoenicia. Anything I can say about my opinions about uh, the tranny movement, it doesn't really apply to Phoenicia. And I found that even as Teresa and I are talking about this woman we're researching, I kept starting a sentence and stopping in the middle of it and realizing, well, that's not quite right. <laughs> and anybody who knows me knows that's not exactly usual for me. I definitely, I, I have a lot of opinions about a lot of things and uh, many of them may be wrong right now, but that's okay. Cause I figure by talking about them, that's how we develop and move forward. Um, I'm not hiding them and keeping a secret. So bringing them out, I get to examine them and explore them. But Phoenicia, man, she just, uh, she defied that really well. Like she just put out this, this really coyote energy. And I, I just want to say for those people who are listening to this podcast, if uh, if you happen to have met Phoenicia or interacted with her in any way, I would love to hear from you. Um, well, at the end of the episode, give our contact info and everything. But uh, yeah, once again, I am not pretending to know the truth of Phoenicia, and I certainly am not 
an expert or even a practitioner of wild tending. So definitely um, write in and let us know your opinions, thoughts, experiences. All right, Teresa, who the hell is Phoenicia Madrano? Exactly. Well, Phoenicia was, as you mentioned, born a man um, in Las Vegas of all places in the 1950s, actually the same year both of our moms were born, 1956. Yeah, the exact same year. And uh, we read she was like kind of just downwind of some of the nuclear testing going on. (laughs) I don't know if that applied to anything or... And uh, her family moved to a reservation in, how do you say it, Coeur d'Alene? Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. And uh, on the reservation, which I guess was um, her stepmom's family, uh, she began to learn at the knee of, of some of the elders of that tribe. When she was young, um, I guess, Gumby, you liked this story a lot, Uh Phoenicia shared this on, um, there was like a film that was being made about her where she would watch the wind, like the dirt devils, um, throw the, the sheets on the, on the clothesline up into the air. Yeah. And at this point, Phoenicia was a he, we, I'm not sure what name he went by, but yeah, um, he as a boy, um, read about what was it? Pico's bill, how he was like, sucked up in the tornadoes out west and would ride the whirlwinds and uh it was said that he would take the sheets from his mom mom's clothesline and tie them around his wrist and run out there in the prairie and run after those uh those dirt devils those little tornadoes and try to throw up the sheet and see if the uh the tornado would suck her up into the sky and to me like i love that story because so many of us want to commune with nature. We go out and build huts. We go out and play and build little villages. We go out and maybe like try to talk to animals and use our imagination. How many of us have that kind of relationship where we're trying to like catch a ride into the sky? To me, that that speaks something of this unusual path already back then of just like, it's almost like his desire was in a direction that's... uh unusual. Hey, Oka. Well, yeah. And just the feeling of like, I don't want to be here. I'd rather the wind pick me up and put me somewhere else, anywhere else. Not because it was necessarily bad, but just that feeling of like, I just want to be, I don't know. Really wild and elemental. Yeah, exactly. So that was happening uh, along with learning from the elders, which I thought was really special. Like how many people can say that actually? One of your mentors, Tom Brown Jr., you kind of said like he was a little more polished, but still had that kind of little bit of intolerance for people that Phoenicia also had. Yeah, he was also raised by, uh, you know, an, an elder of uh, indigenous blood in Apache. Um, and by raised, I don't mean as a parent, but as a teacher. And yeah, he has that same kind of thing where you're kind of you read about him. You're kind of expecting a more gentle personality. But he's really harsh. And, you know, it's kind of this like, uh, what was I saying like the other day? We were talking about this and I was like, you know, we all have these opportunities to see each other through each other's eyes. Like if I'm hanging out with somebody, I can kind of see by the way they treat me somewhat what they think of me. And how powerful it is when you see yourself through the eyes of somebody that's like, 
really put themselves out there and applied themselves with their whole heart to something. Gotten calluses on their belly from like studying animal tracks and crawling on the ground so much. Yeah, Tom Brown was one of those really hardcore people that uh, I find it so uh, informative and, and beneficial, even though it hurts our egos, to see how spoiled we actually look. Mm-hmm. You know, like I feel like that's something when we read about accounts of people talking about meeting Phoenicia that we read over and over is like, she's going to knock you down. You're going to feel like, oh, you know, I'm one with the earth and I, I understand the native tradition and I bring you a gift and she's going to, you know, I mean, just as soon like spit on it and tell you what a fucking spoiled brat you are. And, <laughs> you know, and I feel like there's there's so much truth in that. I mean... It's easy for me to laugh because I'm not being told that by Phoenicia Madrano. Uh, and yet, like, I would have hoped, like, had I met her, that I could take a moment and just accept that I am a spoiled, entitled brat of this, you know, ecocidal culture that I am a whore of. <laughs> Which yeah. she would often tell people. Um, but she yeah, just call them whores? Uh, whores of Babylon. What does that mean? And Babylon was her word for civilization. Why'd she call it Babylon? Well, I guess it was kind of like that uh, fucked up, confusing place of the Bible that, um, you know, people were taking more than they were giving. Hmm. She would say, she said of herself, I'm not an Indian. I'm a mad Irishman and an Indian nightmare. <laughs> and I really liked that too because I uh, we were watching some videos last night on her YouTube channel and uh, not knowing all the context of you know her background and her relationship with Indians, um, it sounded like yeah there was a lot of discord between her and even the Indians that she had received the knowledge from the bundle of knowledge. Yeah, I mean she's so very politically incorrect. Um, you know, there's all this talk about appropriation. And uh, here Phoenicia comes in, a white person, you know, of Irish descent, as she says. And at this point, she had had the surgery, so she's, uh, you know, doing all this as a woman, right? Mm, yeah, it's kind of unclear as far as, like, her interactions because of the growing up, the elders, and then also um, in her 20s. Because, well, I guess I'll just go ahead and say, like, she, whatever this meant in the 70s, she got married to a man who was a wealthy man. And he was like, I think it said like 45 years her senior. Yeah, so he was in his 60s because we did the math, right? And that makes him, at the time, about 21 when he met her. Mm-hmm. And uh, so he paid for Phoenicia's sex change. And at some point, I guess Phoenicia was always kind of, uh, you know, doing things that were very hayoka, very contrary and strange. So... There was this one story that she went out um, to the beach in Malibu and, like, dug this cave with her hands and feet and then lined the cave with pink carpeting and made it she, – she described it as a giant pussy. <laughs> and, like, people would come out and visit and, like, bring LSD and beer and just – it was just the 70s, man. It was a crazy time. And uh, at one point she went out on her own to supposedly to kick a tobacco addiction and she came back uh christian and never um strayed away from that faith and wasn't this was still when phoenicia was a man and wasn't he married to the 
person that was 45 years his elder at this point? Uh-huh. Like, yes. and, I, and I'm imagining since I don't think marriage, gay marriage was legal back then, it was more like an unofficial marriage. Yeah. And, and he had told the person, like, I'm going to go to the mountains and try to kick this tobacco habit and came back and now he's a born again Christian. Yeah. And the, the husband was like, I can't do this. And being what we know about Phoenicia now, I can only imagine that, uh, she hasn't changed that much. So I can imagine that her born again Christian was a really confrontational, like, <laughs> what the fuck's wrong with you? How come you're not a Christian, you fucking whore? So, you know, maybe some more sympathy for that older guy that's like, whoa, 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 I did not sign up for all this. Yeah, and you were you were starting to talk, and I, I butted in there about um, cultural appropriation and just the idea of this transsexual, transgendered person uh, who has received the wisdom of the ages from these Indian elders and then is proceeding to open up that bundle of knowledge. What the hell is the wisdom of the ages? Well, what I'm saying is like, uh, we were watching that video the other night about bundles. Like what is a bundle of knowledge? And my, like my own personal interpretation of that is observation, listening, watching, and through the ages, people learned more and added to that wisdom. And so receiving this wisdom is like receiving thousands of years of notes of like cliff notes, because otherwise it would take lifetimes for you to know all of that. And that's another thing that I want to put a little like a asterisk on is when we started trying to find out what these bundles were. Um, I got the feeling that it's something that I didn't quite grasp, that it's kind of hard to understand from the viewpoint of our culture that presumably all of our listeners were raised in as well as we are. Um, but yeah, it sounds, you know, if I was going to try to define it, I'd define it about like Teresa just did. But there's some, she has a YouTube channel. And uh, in one of the videos, she talks uh, directly about what a bundle is. And uh, yeah, it, it added as much mystery as it cleared up for me listening <laughs> to that. But I often get that feeling when I'm uh, dealing with a thought so outside of our culture. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, yeah, so just, you know, real briefly, just again about cultural appropriation. I am not Indian. Gumby is not Indian. I got a little Powhatan blood. A little bit. And uh, so we don't even know, like, what Indian people would th- or thought about her. You know what I'm saying? So, um, you know, again, write in and let us know. But she had evidently uh, learned from elders of the Nez Perce, um, the Paiute, the Shoshone, And, uh, yeah, so at what point, you know, does that knowledge need to be spread even further? And we'll talk about that more um, in just a little bit with the wild tending. Like, at what point do you say, okay, I think we need help? Or like, okay, I think this can be shared so that we can have, you know, what our ancestors would have thought as caring for the future generations. Well, I'm a little lost in the story here. Correct me if I'm wrong. Let me see if I can get back on the the chronology here. So she went up into the mountains, quit tobacco, came back a born-again Christian. Uh, her partner at the time said, I can't, I didn't sign up for this. I can't be with a Christian. And so at this point, if I remember right, she left her partner and was basically suicidal. She kind of, you know, didn't care what happened to her. She thought that was pretty much the end. And that's when she and another hitchhiker, and she is a woman at this time, this is after the surgery, her, uh, her partner paid for the surgery, um, got picked up by Indians who were apparently wild tending. 
and the other hitchhiker left and kind of after a little while did his own thing, but she was really absorbed in it and picked up a lot of this knowledge and uh, stayed and visited and got to know these people. And she talks about she learned from so many people, even the, the children of these people, picked up little pieces of this bundle. And I think that takes us up to kind of what you're alluding to, where um, we heard a story that she shared that, uh, you know, she comes on the reservation and that the kids are all kind of hiding from her and calling her a stick Indian, which we had to look up. And it turns out that's sort of a, uh, a boogeyman of sorts. It's a not, not good thing. It's a way of calling her a monster. And, um, the man who was an Indian, um, that got that started, you know, pretty much directly told her when she confronted him that, you know, this was because you're not a man or a woman, you know, you're neither. And how does it, it figures that my people would have their, their bundle of knowledge taken by such a white person, not just a white person, it's bad enough, but, you know, he was calling her a monster. It was basically a, an attack on her transsexualism, mm -hmm. mainly, and her whiteness after that. And yeah, it's so like that, even that, everything about her story challenges me because doesn't that just sound like exactly what appropriation is? Some white person. Yeah. And again, being Phoenicia, you can bet your ass she was going on these reservations and telling these Indians their own business. Oh my God. I mean, you know, I, I doubt she was this gentle soul at one time. I, I imagine she was that, uh, that tornado she was trying to get sucked up in her whole life. So <laughs> I can imagine how that would piss people off. Yeah. And I guess at some point, um, Phoenicia, you know, either was cast out or felt that she needed to move on. And she started uh, trekking around America. And there were a lot of articles I found from the mid-1990s, like 95, 96, 97, about these sightings of a woman with a covered wagon, like a Conestoga wagon, um, with her team of horses and she was wearing at this point kind of the garb of like buckskin skirt and a wide brimmed hat. And the reporters, you know, they loved to harp upon the fact that on her wagon, she had painted uh, pulling for Christ across America. And so a lot of the stories for these small towns out West would focus on her being Christian and not knowing Phoenicia. I don't know, um, what exactly her her plan or purpose was, but I do remember a comment somewhere that someone had talked about, like, you know, you don't get a lot of sympathy riding a bike. There's something about a bike that's kind of elitist and people don't give you things or, or feel... She said on foot. Or on foot. Um, but if you've got, like, a, a thing, like a like a rig, and then you've, you've got, like, this message painted on the side... Um, Maybe you get a little bit more charity. Maybe people are nicer to you. They look they look at you like this mythical figure. And we actually kind of experienced that ourselves a little. Yeah, she was saying on foot that nobody, you know, you look like a bum and a hobo. But if you get a horse, you know, and she had two. So she bought two horses that a horse, there's this romantic love affair with the Western ideal. And so now everybody's looking at you like, a, you know, a cowboy, something they respect. Yeah. Gumby and I were walking on the uh, Mountains to Sea Trail or Sea to the Mountains Trail, as we did um, on the coast of North Carolina. And <laughs> as we're walking with our packs along the beach, there's all these people that are kind of like, what are you guys doing? Where are you from? And so, um, just to see Gumby's like, you know, they want a story. They don't want to just hear like, oh, we parked up this, you know, 
up here and we're like just walking for the day or whatever. So we would kind of spin these yarns and let them believe what they wanted to, like fill in the details of, you know, <laughs> where are you walking from? I'd spin those yarns. You used to tell me, I am not comfortable with these lies. <laughs> And I'd be like, it, well, I'm just practicing my storytelling. I'm giving them the story they're asking for. And I feel like, I mean, again, I didn't know Phoenicia, and I might be completely off base with this, but I kind of feel like a lot of her stories, um, supposedly she got that wagon from some like old farm couple in Alabama, and she had been carrying a, a, a jar of water that was from the Atlantic Ocean. She would tell this to the reporters, like, she was in Idaho or she was in um, Texas or something. And she said she was carrying a jar of Atlantic Ocean water to dr- to dump into the Pacific. And that at some point she was going to take a jar of Pacific Ocean water and go to New England and dump it into the Atlantic. I mean, who knows? I don't know. I wasn't there. Um, it just sounded like the stories that really would interest people and, and get people to to take notice of you. So, yeah, there was that aspect. And at some point, though, you know, settling more into this wild tending, um, sacred hoop culture and the sacred hoop being, God, like all around the West. So some of the states that um, that Phoenicia and her like kind of growing, ebbing and flowing crew that they called Coyote Camp much like the coyote teachings that Gumby sometimes mentions in our podcast, they would travel in Idaho, Nevada, the Great Basin area, Colorado, Utah, Wyoming, um, Montana, California, Washington State, and Oregon. And what were they doing exactly? They were trying to follow the seasons, the growing seasons of uh, native foods. And not only eating from the land, but tending the gardens of the ancestors who for tens of thousands of years had actually cultivated these roots that were like the the main staple of their diet. And by learning these, uh, these ways of wild tending from the native elders, Phoenicia then passed this information on to like the new generation of wild tenders. And I've heard that uh, at least some of the elders, and apparently this was somewhat controversial because, like we said, a lot of the Indians did not like her. Um, but some of them look at this as like this is the end of this epoch, this era, this this time, um, which a lot of us would agree with and are feeling. And so they're saying some of these bundles that are considered private, the most precious of Indian knowledge not to be shared, that the, the white people wouldn't understand anyway, that maybe it's time to open some of those bundles and so that's my understanding. A part of the uh, permission that was given Phoenicia to, to pass these on is to open a bundle, to to open it up to whoever can listen, no matter what race they are or who they are, because if it's not disseminated now, um, you know, it could be lost forever. And a lot of the Indians are just as uh, brainwashed and whitewashed as the rest of us. Um, they're not interested any more than most of the people in, you know, Park Avenue in New York, wherever, are interested in it. So it's a rare person of any race these days that is picking up the mantle for this knowledge. And some of the, the Indian elders are are deciding, like, all right, it's time for this to transcend our tribe, to just get it out there. And she, Phoenicia, did this for over three decades. I think it was something like 35 or 36 years of living 
on the sacred hoop, on the hoop, wild tending for future generations. And that just, to me, I was like, you know, Gumby, we, we haven't read Phoenicia's books. We haven't been able to absorb all that we could about this, this just, <laughs> I don't even see again. It's like I get verklempt, you know, like I don't know how to speak about this person because they're just in so many ways, like a genius in so many ways, like in a in raging her, bitch. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, or as she called herself a nigger. Oh. She de- she defined herself as a nigger quite often in her uh, videos we watched. And uh, we were kind of smirking a little bit about her alter ego, Frank N. Eggers. Mm-hmm. And we realized what that sounds like when you say it fast. Uh, so, yeah, she was very challenging. Even that word, you know, for a white person to use that word is challenging. It's so politically incorrect. And as you might imagine, that's something that I just right away appreciate about her. Um just that challenging of your beliefs and everything. And Coyote was a shapeshifter. That's part of the trickster myth mythology of Coyote. So you can imagine that somebody that's a, a trans person would identify with that aspect as well. Um, a lot of discussions about gender nowadays, you know, people will say, well, indigenous tribes were a lot more accepting. Gender was much more fluid, which has some truth in it, but it's not the whole picture. Um, often people that would take this unusual path, for one thing, there wasn't modern surgery. It was more how you lived, um, the energy you were tapping into rather than some invasive surgery, which of course, Phoenicia had the invasive surgery, but also these were often very sacred people to walk such an unusual path. And that's what was respected. And I feel like that really is Phoenicia. You know, Phoenicia wasn't just somebody, um, I don't know, dealing with whatever we all deal with and whatever people deal with, like she was put in a certain place to do certain things for a reason. And uh, yeah, the power of that. And while we sort of skirted around the thoughts, like we don't know, but it kind of sounded like Indians, at, at least some of the Indians who had even taught her about this, they were taking exception to her um, actually doing this and, and sharing the knowledge. But you know, aside from Indians being, you know, pissed off at you, of course, we've got our own government. And to plant seeds on federal land, which of course, you know, nowadays you've got private land and you've got public land that isn't yours. So um, basically, you know, you're, you're pretty much screwed. There is no common land. So to plant seeds on federal land is, in Phoenicia's words, a felony. And I'm pretty sure it was because she was sent to jail two times for doing it. And there was a letter that she called like her manifesto that she wanted people to know exactly what was going on. So I just wrote down an excerpt of it. Of course, you could, you know, look this up yourself. I got this from actually a uh, a rewild. It's called discuss.rewild.com. Um, that I guess she was on the discussion board at some point and she also had someone Uh, post this letter. So this was a letter from Phoenicia who was in jail to the Lenhai County Court. And in it, she wanted to, quote, bring to light that I have been violating the U.S. government treaties of war by engaging in that indigenous life way that was disallowed to force the natives onto reservations and to complete the genocide of that life way. That life way, of course, you know, talking about the sacred hoop and wild tending. And I just felt like, wow, this person was 
walking the walk and talking the talk. And it wasn't just someone theorizing. And that was one of her main points to people was like when she was talking to Gumby, like if you're not doing wild tending, nothing else matters at this point. We need to do this because everything else, it seems like it just doesn't have the impact. Yeah. Another thing I saw her troll somebody on Facebook is they shared a quote from Daniel Quinn and she was like, who the fuck is Daniel Quinn? <laughs> like, he's another whore of Babylon. He doesn't know shit. Fuck him. <laughs> I was like, wow. You know, that's when I started, like, looking into a profile. Like, who is this person? And what type of people, like, want to follow this person? I mean, you know, Gumby said, like, she was kind of, in ways, like, really dismissive and abusive in a ways. And, and I can understand what kind of, like, she reminds me of the uh, some of the ancient Zen stories you hear about these Zen masters. Um, a lot of teachers were considered dangerous. And uh, in so many traditions, and we've talked a lot about this in former podcasts, it's considered beneficial to uh, have your ego drawn out. You know, because when somebody calls you a fucking asshole and they call you out, it's the part of you that agrees with what they said that gets hurt. Mm. If somebody walks walks up to me and says, you're a rotten plum, I'm not offended in the least because no part of me imagines myself to be a rotten plum. If somebody walks up to you and says, you are a spoiled fucking whore, you are destroying the earth, you know what your lifestyle does to the earth and you still fucking do it, and you think you're lovable, you expect me to love you, you expect me to like you, Fuck you. You're one of the murderers of the earth, and I'm going to fucking talk to you like that. You know why we get offended? Because there's a part of us that knows there's truth in that. And to me, that's a powerful thing, because all day long, we're around our friends, our coworkers, and we all normalize all this shit. Oh, well, you do it, I do it too. Oh, I'm going to go home and binge watch this. Ha, 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 because that's what we do. I'm going to get in my car and turn the key. Don't you love electricity? Wow, the power went out. That sucked. But then you meet somebody like that, that for... Almost 40 years, right? 30-something years, yeah. Yeah, I was living out in the fucking wild in a teepee with horses, wild tending, traveling, living the old ways. When that person looks at you and you have to see yourself through their eyes, that's a fucking unique experience. And as we're studying this, you know, I was thinking of my appreciation for all the people that I know that are pushing the boundaries of wildness, that are fucking turning away from home and electricity. And uh, so many of them are women. You know, I don't know what's up with that, but uh, wow, this is like the, the era of the woman um, that are going and doing the tough shit that most of the men aren't willing to do. Women are going out there and fucking giving it up. I know one woman out there that's like got three dogs and pulling a wagon with all of her stuff, traveling the country. I know a couple of women that are hoboing around like uh, Canada, you know, I mean, that's some hardcore shit. And God, I applaud that. You know, bringing it back to Phoenicia, I applaud people who do that because those people, by their very existence, Mm -hmm. challenge us. Because if all those people are gone, you know what? We can look at each other and say, oh, it can't be done. You can't live off the land. It's impossible. No, maybe people did it in the past, but they probably had this and that. We'll find all kinds of excuses why we can't do it. So I guess we're just stuck using electricity and killing the world. But then we meet somebody like that, and that's a mirror. That's really hard to avoid the fact that we are choosing this. Here's a, a tranny woman or some of these other people. Here's a young woman out there with all the dangers that comes with that that is doing this. And you're going to tell me you can't fucking stop flipping light switches? Bullshit. You're choosing it. And that's one of the most powerful things I, I derive from uh, 
sending anybody like that. And a lot of the former people we've talked about, too, from Ted Kaczynski to Peace Pilgrim to Chris, Chris McCandless. And there's probably not a lot of sentences you're going to hear that has Peace Pilgrim and Ted Kaczynski in the same one. But I just did that. <laughs> yeah, this is a uh, another quote from Phoenicia. In, uh, this was actually more of a scholarly article by Bruno Serafin um, in 2015. Phoenicia said, How we all love our Babylon, Babylon being civilization, but how we all hate its consequence of ecocide, how it leaves you without a shred of conscience. I was born in Babylon. I got nothing I can do but minimize my damage, minimize like hell, and end up without a soul, without a conscience. You know, it's nothing but ecocide. It's worse than rape. It's a suicidal hatred of existence. Killing everything before you die fast. That's civilization. That's Babylon. And we're all loving it and addicted to it. And it leaves us without a conscience, struggling to defend the undefendable, struggling to sustain the unsustainable. Yeah, I really like that. The, uh, you know, like how it, it robs us of our conscience. I mean, again, we know what we're doing to the earth and we do so little to change it. And I really like that line at the end, struggling to defend the undefendable. There's no defense for what we're doing. Um, We know at the end of the day, you know, in those quiet moments when our defenses aren't up, the reason why we do what we do is we're fucking lazy and we want to be comfortable and we're addicted, just like she said. Um, So, yeah, I thought that was a really good quote. I shared that on Facebook. Nice. And, yeah, you were saying like uh, Phoenicia's, like the biggest message to you was we all need to up our game. Like you were just saying earlier, like if if this person can do it, it's hard, but it is doable. And we're not trying to romanticize. I can imagine like we talked to a few people in preparation for this podcast that met her. And uh, most people were quick to kind of point out like, oh, don't put her on a pedestal. <laughs> like she went to Walmart. She ate Cheetos. She was addicted to Pepsi. She uh, did hardcore drugs and smoked weed until like the day she died, as far as we know. Um you know, she wasn't like completely primitive. And I guess you're going to talk some somewhat about the philosophy of uh, wild tending, at least what we've what we've encountered, you yeah. know, not being wild tenders ourselves. Um, but that was, you know, like when people are pushing the edges, it's fucking hard. And sometimes they come back. Sometimes they have a foot in both worlds because let's face it, it's really hard not to. And the empire has taken over the whole world. Um but yeah, I don't want to create this false image of like, woo, you know, the holy woman Phoenicia. She's no saint. Yeah, there was something sacred there if you looked for it, but there was also something deeply uh, profane there. And I feel like to me, that's the Hayoka, the dance between the sacred and the profane. That's the whirlwind. Indeed. So yeah, the, um, God. No, what am I trying to say here? What are you trying to say? I don't know. This is exactly what Phoenicia is good for. Just fucking your shit up and making you think about stuff. Um, we keep mentioning wild tending. And while this is not an episode about wild tending, I think a little bit of information might be helpful. Because Gumby and I had no idea what wild tending was. What? Just like... I don't know, last year. Yeah, I still, like we we talked about it one time doing an episode on wild tending, but it sounds like it's a little beyond us if we're not actually doing it. So we can only talk about a few things to kind of point the way as the way has been pointed out for us. And 
you know, just this morning, Gumby and I, uh, we were talking as we were walking our dog about not even sure if wild tending is something that, you know, we believe in or something that, you know, we can like give our seal of approval for whatever the hell that means, because, um, we haven't done it ourselves. But to me, it is very inspirational to think about food freedom because the folks that are doing wild tending are giving their life for future generations, for that time in Earth's future when there isn't going to be a Walmart, there aren't going to be cheesy poofs and Pepsi and all that. And what are the children of our children or whatever, those generations, what are they going to eat? Like I mentioned earlier, for tens of thousands of years, there was abundance through disturbance. And that little abundance through disturbance I also got from the scholarly article. Um, And what exactly does that mean? Because as humans in this culture now, we're disturbing the hell out of the earth and we sure are, you know, racking up resources, but that doesn't, that's not sustainable for future generations. Well, in another article, um, it described these rock gardens that were in the shape of a figure eight that had been cultivated for, again, thousands upon thousands of years. Mostly women would go out and they would have their digging sticks. And the ground was a little bit softer then because it hadn't been, you know, raped by our culture. And so the women would go out with their digging sticks and they would carefully dig some of the roots, but only when it would be beneficial to the root. So again, I don't know a lot about wild tending, but it sounds like for a lot of these wild foods, the, um, the cycle in which it takes for them to get to the point where they have seeds that you could then plant in places that are beneficial to that particular species, it could take anywhere from like two to seven years. And what the hell are you going to do for food in the meantime? So there was a very carefully, um, observed relationship you know, sit spots, Gumby's talked about that before. How many people for thousands of years watched and observed how these seeds fall to the ground? What types of other species interact with this plant? And how can I benefit both the plant and my people, my family? Um, So being able to like study the plant, uh, collect the seeds at a time when it's okay for that plant to be disturbed and by the very disturbance of the soil the seeds being planted and opening up spaces that water can then trickle down and and help the plant to grow and the women back then even realized that they don't have to dig everything up and you know ruin more plants than they need to they used rocks to cover up the holes that they had carefully dug and so even to this day you can go out west and who knows how long this will be you know in existence but you can go to this day and if you're if you're keyed into it you can see these rock gardens from thousands of years of of loving tending of the land i didn't like the idea of wild tending when i first encountered it and i'm still again everything about this challenges me i don't find myself exactly opposed to it and i'm not sure i understand it enough to support it yet and uh, everything about Phoenicia, everything about what she did, I, I feel some measure of that, which I, I enjoy because to me, all that screams is growth opportunity. 
you know, to even consider these things. What I don't, I didn't like about wild tending is my whole life I've been rebelling against our culture. And to me, what our culture does is dominate. Um, you know, man has dominion over the earth. That's our culture. So to me, most of my life, I've been embracing the idea that nature knows best. Nature knows where to grow things. Nature knows how things should grow. Nature knows when a fire is appropriate. Nature knows when a flood's appropriate. You know, just giving myself and a trusting nature. So this idea of treating the world like a garden started stinking to me of man has dominion over the earth. And I'm still not sure, because so much of this comes through Phoenicia, who, which, let's remember, was a Christian till the day she died. And it's Christianity that tells us man has dominion over the earth. So I'm not sure quite what to make of all this. You know, there's this picture we're given that the natives were living here when the settlers first came over in this primeval, beautiful forest that had been shaped since ancient times, just through nature, and they barely made an impact. But that's getting more and more debunked. It's sounding more and more like the natives that lived here um, were wild tending, not just wild tending plants either, but animals. You know, they were encouraging like or creating the deer parks, and, deer and parks, doing controlled burns to bring back the buffalo. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it just goes on and on that they were creating a situation that, you know, this is something I have a hard time imagining because of the way I was raised in this culture. That was both hugely beneficial for people and the other animals. I I just have a hard time letting that go. That it's an either or thing. Or, or it can be a both thing, rather. Um, yeah, and Teresa and I were kind of debating this earlier, and I was saying, how come it, it, the animal, the human animal alone, has to live with such intention and the intentionality? You know, everything else just seems to be out there. And then we considered, what if some of these animals are wild tending? We just don't see it because we don't even know what to look for. For instance, squirrels bury acorns all the time. And what you usually run into, if it's mentioned in an ecology book, is they forget where they planted the acorns. What if they didn't forget? What if they're wild tending? What if they're planting oak trees for the future? Boom! Boom. Mind blown. And the beaver, even our blind-ass scientists and ecologists who, who, who put so much effort into ignoring so much, it's hard to ignore the beaver. The beaver who will change an entire ecosystem to suit its own needs and will actually kill trees to make space for their preferred trees to grow. That is definitely wild tending. These are these are acts that are somewhat beneficial in themselves, but also create something for the future. That's exactly what wild tending is. And that's another of the coyote aspects I find with Phoenicia, is she was so fucking hostile, you know, in the short term, in her short life, meeting her, kind of abusive, hostile, uh, vulgar, you know, she made so, so many porn references. Like she said with nature, it's got to be a circle jerk. If nature's going to get you off, you better get nature off. And she's saying in her own vulgar way, you know, return the favor. Nature's taking care of us. Reach around. Yeah, I do a reach around with nature. <laughs> you know, but the, the message underneath the vulgarity is sound. And yet, when you look at the effect of this person beyond their selfish little life, this little bubble in her time she was here, in the future... What have we done that's going to affect our great-great-grandchildren compared to what Phoenicia did? She's left gardens for them. They won't even know her name, but she did them a favor that didn't even, they don't even need to remember her. The favor wasn't hinged on, you know, thanking me. It was just hinged on, I don't know, duty, love? I don't know. 
It's so outside of our culture to even know what motivates actions like that. But, uh, yeah, to me, that's part of that dichotomy, too. That's such a, like, the, the meanest, most hostile person you might run into might be doing the kindest fucking thing of anybody you've ever met. Yeah. And, you know, we were talking earlier about, like, Tom Brown Jr. and how he he kind of bristled at, you know, the soft, you know, babies, the spoiled brats Oh, yeah. I've seen Tom yell, Tom yell to a class of 150 people, like, it's time for class and people are kind of making their way in slowly. And he's like, act like you give a fuck. <laughs> and to me, that's sort of like Phoenicia, you know, like, God damn it. I'm out here. I'm fucking busting my ass. I'm getting calluses on my belly from tracking. And you pieces of shit fucking show up to my class two minutes late. Fuck you. So I get that. And don't, even though like we wouldn't measure up to Phoenicia, you know, I'm sure if I met Phoenicia, she wouldn't be like, Oh, you're walking the true path. No, she'd fucking be call- calling me out on the minivan. And not wild tending. Well, she did call me out on not wild tending. But when we push, don't we even get some small window into that feeling, though? I mean, imagine, like, seeing it from Phoenicia's point of view. Like, you know, I get so sick of people saying that they don't know what to do, what what to do to stop what we're doing to the earth. Bullshit. I mean, don't you sometimes want to just fucking rage and yell at people and shake them? And call them the whores of Babylon? Mm-hmm. We are the whores of Babylon. Yeah, I think, I don't even know if it was you that said this, or Phoenicia, or both of you. But I wrote this down, and so um, I think you both kind of had the same idea. I like people. I would like to like people. But we are inhuman. And to me, that's very humbling to consider that we are not acting as human beings right now on this earth. If you... Uh, listened to our Anything Goes podcast or our one of our shots in between the seasons. We are not of life. This culture that we live in is killing everything. And is that really what humanity is? Is that what a human being is? Yeah, how dare us even claim humanity if we're not going to fucking act like it? You know, there's a whole lot of work that needs to be done. And I get so sick of people like, oh, you know, like we're taking our time. We need to change hearts and minds. And meanwhile, these people are still doing the same fucking thing they did yesterday. Now, we need to fucking get extreme and to give a shit and to do some of these extreme things that we see role models. They're out there right now. You think it's easy for them? I mean, we watched videos and interviews with Phoenicia in tears talking about how fucking hard it could be. And yet it was so rewarding, too. And then she talked about towards the end of her life, she's getting sick and she starts coming back into civilization more, which is around the time I guess I ran into her on Facebook. And she's saying it was so hard for her, just like somebody from our civilization going out into the wild. The transition was like devastating. There was a quote also from a video. I think it was the documentary that I don't even know if it actually got finished, but you can watch a a pretty lengthy trailer of it online. And the trailer alone, we couldn't find the documentary, but the trailer is about five minutes and it's powerful. I really recommend you look up, what is it, Life of Finn? Life of Finn, yeah. Yeah. Um, In that video, Phoenicia said, uh, you squeeze a lemon, you're going to get lemon juice probably. If you put pressure on a grape, you're going to get grape juice. Pressure is going to expose what's in you. It ain't going to create it for you. Trial by fire. And, and I really liked that. Yeah. Yeah. Even that. There's so much depth. Like, I love that. Expose what's in you. It's not going to create it for you. To me, that speaks like it's one thing to put yourself through that trial by fire. But what are you cultivating to prepare for that? And 
I just, this isn't really as an, this isn't an aside, but I just wanted to mention that uh, at the beginning of the podcast, Gumby tries to like find a harmonica song in his book that is fitting for the episode. And we didn't, well, I don't know what, you know, all the intentions are subconsciously, but it was interesting that he chose Dancing Queen because I was like, at first I was like, come on, Gumby, that's kind of just, you know, <laughs> like <laughs> tranny granny, which uh, people, again, like I said at the beginning, lovingly called her. But then I saw this on the internet, and this, I believe, was written by Phoenicia on a website. Oh, I scribbled it. M-A-Q-U-A-H dot net, maybe. She said, it was always the intent of the longhouses to watch until they knew the magic that was being used against them and then dance it in reverse, unwinding it. She goes on to discuss how you can wait to dig the plants until they have the seeds so that the seeds could be planted as you're digging them. And she further talks about sharing this information. She says, sometimes in trying to share this way, there was no seed available. As some would take a, and so some would take a pinch of tobacco or even coffee and represent that way by giving that pinch in return for some gift to the mother. So in other words, at some point, I'm not sure when, but the elders or the people of the tribe decided like, well, we want to give something back and there's no seeds at this time. So we can give a pinch of tobacco to represent giving back the seed. Does that make sense? Gumby? <laughs> uh, yes. Okay. But Venetia writes that over time, the meaning of the tobacco that represented the seed has been lost. And so she says, I want to take all of these symbols and fill in their meaning for you. But it requires your presence in the sage. In other words, bless you, to me, that means like living on the land. It requires you to put your hands to this way to be hungry and then fed in this way, to be made full, warm, and safe in this life way. And again, I thought that was a really beautiful just explanation of wild tending and how even for Gumby and I, you know, trying to forage on the land, it's fucking hard. And how much you appreciate that oyster mushroom that you find or that wild onion that you find. Well, kind of in line with that, another thing that challenges me about wild tending that you were uh, you were talking to me, Teresa, as you were doing the research, is that on the whole, of course, generalizations, but uh, wild tenders were all, will often incorporate everything in their sacred hoop. In other words, they won't distinguish like the car is bad because it runs on gas if mm. the car helps them wild tend. They won't distinguish between, um, oh, well, Phoenicia's case, the Cheetos and the Pepsi. If she feels like that helps me get through and keep up the work of wild tending. And, uh, yeah, even though I still like put that in that great area of like, I'm still thinking about it. I feel like I trust my gut a lot and I feel a little like something rise up in me. Even as I said that, like there's truth in that. I know the way truth feels. I know when I hear something true, I don't care if it came out of Yoda's mouth or a (laughs) fictional character like Sherlock Holmes. I know truth when I hear it. I don't care where it came from. It's truth. And there's something to that. There's something there. And I'm still in this dichotomy of like, cars are bad and kai, you know, <laughs> oyster mushrooms are good and kai. Mm-hmm. But I believe Phoenicia was talking about another possibly deeper level of wisdom 
And again, I'm still turning that over because I can see how with the wrong person, that becomes a justification for just doing bullshit. You know, like, oh, well, I use my car to get to work and I feed my kids with that. And so, you know, henceforward, you know, on and on until suddenly you don't have to change a goddamn thing because you've justified it all. (laughs) But yeah, that's not what she did. That's not she wasn't making excuses. It sounds to me like she was seeing it in a different way. And I found that really interesting because there's no such thing as natural and unnatural. It's all derived from nature. So yeah, there's there, there's a bigger picture than most of us are are ready for or are looking at yet. Yeah, I, there was a story that I was reading uh, again. I think it might have been on a Facebook page post, and uh, this this guy was saying, you know, he went out to um, travel with and learn from Phoenicia, and he and another person, um, I guess they they had to go into town to get a few things that they forgot, and it was like a forty mile journey back into town. I mean you can imagine like all the resources, all the fuel and everything used. Um, I can't even remember if they were driving, but what they did was they forgot about, I guess, bringing back some, uh, cooking fuel. And, um, in Phoenicia's camp, I guess it was stored in some Pepsi bottles. Cause of course, you know, she likes her Pepsi. And when they got back, she was upset with them because she said, you know, something like you forgot you something like you forgot the baby. I forget now what she said, but it was something like it didn't make sense. To well, me when you told me the first well, time. what she was saying was like the the guys went to town and they were kind of like babies. They they didn't think about like the repercussions of forgetting something and maybe like what the hell do you have to go to town for? Like we're out here to try to like reconnect with the land. You know what are you going to town for to get like shaving cream or something? And then additionally forgetting the baby that is wild tending because that camping fuel, that cooking fuel allowed them to exist out there to be on the land, to do the work. And so it was like, there's so many things you think about that maybe don't seem like they're sacred, but in a way, everything is sacred, especially when you're on the hoop, like you're living in that sacred hoop. But yeah, there's um there's a lot of complexity and again, not knowing not actually being a wild tender myself or having met Phoenicia, it's hard for me to talk about. And uh I asked a few people like that had met Phoenicia, you know, is there anything that you think we should talk about? And specifically I'd like to know because this is escaping society and I'm always interested in empowering people that want to do it. And a couple things that come up is how you use the bathroom and how you bathe, that comes up almost universally. <laughs> People wonder about that because we're all going to have to deal with that. So, um, you know, I asked a lot of people, including Kelly Moody, let me plug her podcast because she took so much time to immediately answer in such detail Ground shots. my question. So her podcast, Ground Shots, if you want to learn more about Phoenicia, um, that's one of the resources. She uh, has a lot of people on her show, on her podcast, that uh, have met Phoenicia and discussed Phoenicia and wild tending. And it was kind of our first resource into what wild tending was, mm-hmm. was ground shots. That's how we found her podcast. But um, apparently, as far as bathing goes, she just didn't, unless she happened to be near a creek and then would go for a swim. Um, so, yeah, what a like cultural uh, difference that is to just think like, wow, you can just, you know, smell like a human being. And uh, what if that doesn't kill you? What if you don't just like dissolve into a pile of stink? And something else that um, was mentioned was like, you know, what did you, 
what did she do for using the bathroom? And there were a couple methods of, you know, digging a hole and pooping in it or feeding it to her dogs, which I want to pause there for a second because our dog used to. I say used to because I don't catch him anymore doing it. We discourage it. Um, used to eat uh, human poop when he would come across it. And it wasn't ours. It was like other people's. And that's nasty. But maybe, again, you know, circling around to like her body odor or lack of it and her poop feeding it to the dogs, maybe with that more wild diet, again, not saying that she didn't eat cheese, Cheetos or whatever, but the um, the wild diet, maybe it was a little safer or maybe she had a different smell about her because of what she ate and didn't eat. And apparently she would sometimes take her poop and roll it up in like a paper plate or something and stick it in her wood stove and uh, burn her little shit burritos in there. Hmm. And by the way, taking a shit outside is a form of wild tending. There's many aspects to that. And your shit is actually, as long as you're not living in a city where there's too damn many people, Mm -hmm. um, you know, we've all heard historically the problems that were caused by poor sanitation. Um, What we don't get taught because people don't want us to do anything that would help us have our fucking freedom is that shit is actually good for the land. It is fertilizer, as long as you do it responsibly. So if you're eating wild foods especially, some of those seeds are getting in your digestive tract, and when you take a shit in the woods, you're planting them. You're planting them with a nice little dose of nitrogen and, you know, like giving them a nice little uh, place to start growing, a good little shot at life. So taking a shit in the woods, you can feel good about that. That is a, a, a form of wild tending. Doing a reach around. Mm-hmm. Get your reach around. And we're, we're winding up here with our time. So one other practical lesson that I feel like, um, you know, controversial, once again, what isn't, uh, with Phoenicia, but um, in our van, we have a, a motto that someone told us when we were hitchhiking, and that's ride all rides. And I feel like the wild tenders, at least the their philosophy that I've read about um, the coyote camp that was traveling with Phoenicia um, you know, it attracted, uh, a number of people who were interested in living, <laughs> bless you, on the <laughs> land. Um, you got the bed. Yeah, you got the bid. Uh, you know, learning these, these ancient life ways. But at the same time, we are not living in ancient times. And our land base is, you know, it's, it's illegal to do these things and you're not able to fully sustain yourself all throughout the year because there's just not enough. So they did, uh, some of them either like accept food stamps. Okay. I think you need to be six feet away from me. <laughs> um, I'm sheltering in place. God damn it. Yeah, you are. Uh, we live in a minivan together. So, uh, yeah, the food stamps, like it was said Didn't that you have bugs in your, Never mind. Uh, um, she, Phoenicia was like pained to even accept food stamps. I can imagine like if you're trying to uh, espouse and, and live this way and yet you can't, how devastating it is and all this work you're doing, but it's just, it isn't enough. You need like an army of thousands to be doing this and be committed to the, to life on the hoop. Um, and it was said that she also, you know, would ask for gifts and, and looking at the websites that are associated with some of the people that she traveled with, it looks also like they would ask for financial contributions, support, 
whether it was to go for fixing their vehicle or go for, you know, whatever type of supplies they might need while they're doing this work. And even though that is, you know, putting you back in to Babylon, into the civilization that is just killing the world, what else are you supposed to do? Like you're doing this work and it's really hard and you're putting your life into it, but it just, it isn't quite enough yet. This is for future generations. And so if you have to go into town and, you know, get yourself some cheesy poofs or something, I say do it and beer. Um, Did you have anything else to say about that ride all rides? No, I I know you were towards the end of the podcast. I was just wondering, one thing I really like to hear is like Phoenicia's own words. Did you have any other uh, quotes from Phoenicia we haven't gotten around to? I did, actually. I I actually Can we hear your favorite one we haven't said? Well, she was... um, she was being interviewed for an article and (laughs) don't make me cry. This is like, I don't know if I can do this justice, but she told the person that was writing the article, write your piece as a grand narrative. Forget your fucking essays. Write my story as fiction, baby. (laughs) I really liked that. Like what a, what a personality, like her life was a, a mythical figure. You know, like she was that legend. And we talked about like some of the stories that come from her past. We don't know where the line is between what we call fact and fiction, or even if that's really fucking important. Like another storyteller once told me, any story worth telling is worth uh, embellishing. Yeah. And I just add, you know, once again, I want to give props to those people that are stretching themselves, that are taking some risks, that are trying to like actually rewild, um... I mean, we're at the end right now. Like, the game is winding down, and it's a fucking sad time. It's an inspiring time. It is a powerful time to be alive. And, uh, you know, Phoenicia, um, some of the people, I'm not going to name the names because they might be embarrassed, but, you know, some of the people that have contacted us, and you know who you are, you know, that are, like, giving up your house that are fucking, you know, however you got there. Maybe it's because you, you feel like you fucked up. Maybe you chose it, whatever, whatever your path. We all have different fucked up shit that's leading us there. Maybe you walked away from like everything that this culture says you're supposed to have, but you're like, this isn't it. But right the fuck on because, you know, our society might treat you today like today's losers, the homeless, the fucking vagrants. Tomorrow, you motherfuckers are going to be the teachers. You're the heroes. The survivors that survived their goddamn condos and solar panels and bullshit are going to be wondering how the hell to be hobos. And thank God you guys are paving the way. Um, so I just want to put that out there. And I also am hoping that this episode, as Teresa took great pains to say, a few times, <laughs> it's not meant to be a biography of Phoenicia. We don't, we didn't meet her. We don't know enough to do that. But I hope it is somewhat of a, almost a commercial for her. I hope we pointed out some things that you want to learn more about Phoenicia. You want to see it from her own mouth. Um, you know, her YouTube channel, Phoenicia Madrano, uh, Life of Finn. Look that up. Google that, that five minutes of that trailer. Man, it's, it's powerful. And just check out this person as well as all these people, because if you're feeling like, man, all right, I've done the math. I know what I'm doing is killing the fucking earth. I am in the, on the wrong side of things. You don't have to be. And we all need role models. We all need encouragement. We all feel trapped. Look to these people. They did it. 
They can share things with us. There's help out there. We hope to be part of that help. And we can give back and help even more. And Phoenicia is part of that help as well. So, yeah, this um, this listener write-in came from an episode that we did called Knock Knock. And this is Bob from Maine. We usually talk about Tim from Maine, but I think most of our listeners are, um, at least that write-in, are like in cold climates. I'm guessing they don't have a whole lot else to do but listen to our podcast. So Bob writes... Um, And I think he was uh, referring to our podcast, but he says, when I read the first sentence in this article, I thought, this is something I would post. I am sure this person must be in Maine. I was close. I had to slow down on examining my self-importance because it started to look like everything, and I mean everything I do, is out of self-importance. It was getting very confusing. And I I just find that so poetic that it was uh, a realization after our knock-knock episode because we were talking about how jokes are kind of a mirror to your self-importance and how Phoenicia was also a mirror to our self-importance. Yeah, and I don't think Bob even listens to our podcast. (laughs) I think he thought like when I posted our podcast on that that page he visited, he thought it was an article. (laughs) But still. But still. Yeah. (laughs) We're benefiting from his words anyway. And he wrote in, and I encourage anyone who's listening if you like, if you absolutely disagree with us, if you want to share your stories, your experiences, please do. Um, we have a website, escapingsociety.weebly.com. And on the first page there is a contact form. Just scroll down. We've also got links on there to our YouTube channel where we explore some of the things that we eat uh, from the wild. Although, admittedly, uh, we haven't found enough to live sustainably off the land. Not yet. Um, very inspired to do, to learn more. And what else do we have? Our Escaping Society Facebook page at Escaping Society. Donate button. And we have a donate button because just like the Coyote Camp, we're riding all rides, baby. And, uh, it's cold and we do have a van, uh, that we occasionally run to get heated up when it's freaking cold as balls and uh i don't know what balls you've been dealing with but i'd suggest you uh shoot a little higher cold as balls that just came out of a frozen creek oh yeah those are cold and small too (laughs) all right anything else you have to say i think that's it for me well thanks for listening we hope to hear from you soon Oh, society sucks and we don't need it. It's killing your kids, so why do you feed it? They'll tell you to stay, but you don't need to heed it. You can give them the finger. There's no time to linger. So, thank you for listening to our song. It's not very good and it went kind of long. Don't care if you like it, cause we'll be gone. Over that next horizon. We ain't got no address.